back in the book of Job tonight, so if you want to make your way to Job. And just, uh, you know, coming up, um, just as by way of announcements, don't forget we have one more Sunday, which is this Sunday in the book of 1 Corinthians, and then a week from Sunday, Carl's going to start a, a, a prophecy update for about four weeks. We've been talking about this for probably a couple of years <laughs> And uh, so he's going to do a few weeks of a prophecy update, taking all the current events, current news, and then, you know, seeing how we sit in, uh, in Bible prophecy. And so I, I'm looking forward to it. And so that's going to be coming up, not this Sunday, but a week from Sunday. And then again, guys, we, um, I know it's early, and, uh, but we got the uh, Operation Christmas Child's shoeboxes in. And so um, just a great opportunity uh, we talked to the, pe- the regional people that uh, oversee it for this area here. And, uh, you know, just some great things that the Lord does through those shoe boxes. And so just kind of putting that in your little file that we're going to start doing that, uh, you know, talking about a little bit more as we get closer to Thanksgiving. So, all right, well, let's go before the Lord in prayer. We'll pick it up in chapter 4 tonight in the book of Job. So, Father, we come before you now, Lord, and we thank you for this time, and we thank you for uh, your word. And we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us tonight, Lord. Just minister to our hearts and draw us close to you. And, uh, Father, we ask that you would just reveal uh, yourself in a special way as we give attention to your word tonight, Lord. Bless this time, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, you know, last time we left off with, uh, you know, the beginning of the book of Job, three chapters. And, you know, chapter one and chapter two, we got the curtains pulled back of what was going on, not only on earth, but what was going on in heaven. And we know that, you know, uh, God was talking about how righteous and um, and uh, good the, uh, you know, that Job was, and so, you know, as we look at all that, um, and, you know, and Job said, oh, the reason, I'm sorry, the the devil said uh, as he came before the throne of the Lord, wow, somebody's really anxious, huh? (laughs) You know, um, that, uh, uh, and uh, I don't know what's going on, everything's happening at once here. So, you know, he he just basically challenged uh, God saying, oh, the only reason that Job is doing all this is because he is what he gets from you. You know, you're, you're, what you get out of it, you know, is why he blesses you. And if you just, you know, take that your hand off him, then he will sure turn you in as fast as he can. And of course, that happened a couple of times. And uh, finally, the Lord said, okay, uh, listen, you can, you know, do all this, but you can't take his life. And so, um, it was horrible. You know, he was inflicted with all these sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He had lost all, everything that he had, including his 10 children, his seven sons and three daughters. His wife just gave him the advice of, you know, curse God and die. And so he, he doesn't really have her support. And he is just as low and as bottom as anybody could be. And so, um, you know, uh, his three friends come, as we read in chapter three last time. They, they see Job and they can't even recognize him. I mean, they, is that Job? Is that Job? He's sitting in a pile of ashes. That can't be Job. Yeah, that's Job. And, and they're so overwhelmed by what they see uh, looking at Job that they just literally sit there for seven days and seven nights 
not saying a word. Job's not saying a word because they saw how horrible his suffering was. And they just sat there and uh, in, in awe. And we talked about this last time. You know, a lot of people don't want to, you know, uh, well, if I go over there, you know, this is a big thing happened in their life. I, I don't know what to say if I, if I go there. You know, I, I don't know what to, you know, a lot. As I said, you know what, just being there, you don't have to say a word, just being there is usually brings great comfort to people. And, you know, you're just an ear, and sometimes the Lord gives you something to say, great. If He doesn't, that's great too. And so we, we talked about the importance of doing that. But then after the end of the seven days, you know, Job just starts talking in chapter 3. And, you know, he, he lets it all out. He's hurting physically, he's hurting emotionally, he's hurting mentally and spiritually. And so Job just kind of pours out these raw emotions and feelings. And, you know, again, uh, um, you know, that happens when you're at that place and everything is gone and seemingly everything, you know, uh, has just been ripped away and what he has left, you know, his physical health is gone as well. Um, as well as everything else. And, you know, you just have those raw emotions sometimes, and uh, that's exactly what he's doing. But sadly, the three friends that come, and actually there's going to be a fourth one that we'll see is, is there as well, you know, they, they felt the need to uh, correct Job. They felt the need that, you know, they needed to, well, your view's not right, and they need to kind of get into this theological correction with Job, which is, you know, really a complete wrong thing to doing. Sometimes, you know, people, when a lot's happening to them, they kind of pour out their emotions, and, you know, there's no reason to correct all that. Let them kind of sort through all that. The Lord's going to speak to them and, and draw them, you know, especially a believer as Job was, you know, and, and lead them back. But, Again, uh, they felt compelled to answer Job's cry for pain, and they obviously have a big lack of understanding. Um, and one of the reasons I believe this book is in here and this story is in here is for such a reason, because they thought of God as one way, and the Lord saying, listen, I am not fitting into the mold that you think I'm fitting into. And he wants to give us a clear instruction on that as well as those back in that day, and everybody since has read this book. So, uh, again, these guys will offer nothing more than their opinions, their ideas, and their experience. And I just encourage us that when we do find ourselves uh, consoling or counseling people that are feeling that way, make sure our counsel and our comfort is always based on the Word of God, and not our opinions, and not our ideas, or even our experiences, but rather what the Word of God says, because that's going to bring the ultimate uh, comfort. And uh, again, that's where, we, that's where we kind of pick ourselves up tonight in verse 1 of chapter 4, is uh, Eliaphaz, who feels compelled to correct Job in his kind of crying out in chapter 3. And so, um, you know, I put the picture up there. It gives you some maybe idea what it might have looked like. I don't know. He was in a pile of ashes, so the little thing on the ground isn't accurate. But verse 1 says, Then Eliaphaz the Temanite answered and said, Remember, this is one of those seven friends that, I'm sorry, one of those three friends that had been sitting there for seven days. And he says this in verse 2, If one attempts a word with you, will you become weary? But who can withhold himself from speaking? Surely you have instructed many, and you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have upheld him 
who was stumbling, and you have strengthened the feeble knees. But now it comes upon you, and you are weary. It touches you, and you are troubled. So, you know, rather than having sympathy and a heart for Job and just allowing him and listening to him and encouraging, you know, the first thing a guy says to him is, Job, you know, you were able to give out advice and good advice, um, but now what happens uh, to you, you don't receive that advice like the advice you give, you just let things fall apart. And um, what a terrible thing to say to a guy in Job's position, right? I mean, you know, I, I just don't get it. Like, why he has to say is like, well, you've encouraged, instructed many that have had, you know, problems similar to this. And, um, you know, and, and it, look, at you, you, you're good at giving out advice, but you're not good at receiving it. And, you know, what a, what a terrible thing to say. And, and, of course, this begins this back and forth conversation with Job's friends who have to explain to Job the reason why all this is happening. And the reality of it is they don't know anything. Now, we've got background. The Lord's given us what was going on in heaven. He pulled back the curtain so that we might know, but they don't know. But they act like they do know, and that's really the problem. Because there's a reason for all this to happening, and as far as our understanding of how things work in the world and how the Lord works and does all this stuff, this is what's going on. And let me just remind us, you know... Um, we may never know the reason why this side of eternity. As a matter of fact, in a lot of times, I just don't know if we, we do will know that. The Lord doesn't choose to reveal a lot of times why things go on. A lot of times when we look back on them, we can see the great work that God did through, those, that, through that situation and other circumstances. But the reason why, you know, usually we don't find this side of eternity. And so when a person tries to tell you why, or you try to figure out why, we're going to find ourselves being pretty frustrated, banging our heads against the wall, because a lot of times the Lord doesn't choose to tell us that. Um, that's why, you know, in Philippians, he says he'll give us peace that passes understanding. It's not peace through understanding. Okay, let me explain to you, Dylan, what's going on and what's happening. Let me give you the details so that you can have peace. Oh, okay, I see what you're doing and what you're doing. But the Lord knows we would just endlessly argue with him. But why are you doing that? Well, why does this have to happen that way? Why can't we do it that way? So the Lord just says, listen, what I'm going to do when you're in those circumstances, I'm just going to bypass your mind and I'm just going to give you peace directly. I'm not going to give it through understanding, but I'm going to give it in spite of the lack or in spite of your understanding and just give you peace. And that's what he chooses to, to do. But these guys you know, feel like they have to give this reason why. And then Job feels like he has to defend himself. You know, they're making all these great theological points. When a guy's at this very lowest point in life, uh, horrific, you know, uh, probably some of the worst things that have ever happened to somebody, you know, in, in man's history is happening to Job. And then they have to come up with these theological points. And then Job feels like he has to defend himself, which is just the opposite of what really should be happening at times like this. So he gives him that first criticism, and then verse 6 he says, Is not your reverence uh, your confidence and the integrity of your ways your hope? Remember now, whoever perished being innocent, or where, uh, where were the upright ever cut off? 
even as I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. By the blast of God they perish, and by the breath of his anger they are consumed. The roaring of a lion, the voice of a fierce lion, and the teeth of the young lions are broken. The old lions perishes for lack of prey, and the cubs of the lioness are scattered. And again, you know, just a horrible thing <laughs> that Eliphaz to say. You, you know, he, he says, God never allows the righteous uh, to be punished like the wicked. In other words, there isn't any of this correction. Uh, if something bad happens to you, it's because you've sinned. That was his theology. Um, the wicked get what they deserve, and the righteous are blessed by God. Now, don't think this is so foreign because it's been going around the church for, I don't know, a long time, but, you know, probably pretty strong in the last decade or so, you know, this word of faith thing, uh, you know, that, that, oh, you know, if you go up to one of those people that say, oh, I'm sick, oh, don't say that, you know, that's, you know, you're, you're, you're not walking in faith and it might just happen to you, you know, I don't know if you run into people like that, oh, no, you can't say that, it just shows your lack of faith and you're going to be in trouble. And, you know, they talk about this, that God wants you healthy, wealthy, and wise, and if you uh, don't speak uh, to the negative or the bad, then that's faith and, you know, you won't experience those things. And, uh, you know, those, they have the same kind of thing. It's still happening in a life today. And, you know, talk about that, you know, if you experience any kind of hardship or heartache or difficulty, it's because you're lacking faith. But, of course, Scripture doesn't speak to that at all. How about right off in the get-go in, in the book of Genesis? How about Abel? Cain killing Abel. What did Abel do wrong? Absolutely nothing. But his brother killed him. How about Joseph? He was a righteous man. And yet look at the trouble he came into. Or, or Jesus. You know, and on and on and on it goes in Scripture. And so that whole idea is so anti-scriptural is so against scripture you know but yet that thinking is prevalent today and it's still pretty sad because um you know here i go again you know that the reason you're having all this trouble is because you've sinned in some way which is completely opposite of what we were told in chapter one and chapter two as a matter of fact god says here is a righteous and a just man that's what the lord calls job so we know how completely untrue that is, and yet they had to come up with this idea, well, there's some reason all this has to be happening, so it must be sin. And that's not the case. Well, verse 12 says, Now a word was secretly brought to me, and my ear received a whisper of it, in disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night, when deep sleep falls on men. Fear came upon me, and trembling which made all my bones shake. Then the spirit passed before my face, and the hair on my body stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. Um, a, a form was before my eyes. There was silence. Then I heard a voice saying, Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? If he puts no trust in his servants, if he charges his angels without error, how much more those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed before a moth. They are broken 
uh, in pieces from morning until evening. They perish forever with no one regarding. Does not their own excellence go away? They die even without wisdom. So here now, Eliphaz goes on to say, hey, you know what? I have this great spiritual insight or really this whole spiritual experience. And because of this spiritual experience that I've had, it really proves that you must have sinned and that's why all this is happening to you. And it, it just, again, it just tells us how wrong those things can be. Let me just remind us that experience, just because you experience something, uh, it, that doesn't mean that it's from the Lord. That doesn't validate meaning that it's something from the Lord ever. Experience doesn't, doesn't prove anything. Um, you know, we've had people come and go in the church that have said, oh, uh, you, you know, uh, this has happened to me, this has happened to me, and I've seen this, and I've seen this, and, you know, how, how could you say that's, that it's not from the Lord? Uh, well, I'll say, well, that's what Scripture says. And they'll come back and say, well, but yeah, that's my, not my experience. My experience was this and this and this. Like, your experience is the final authority over everything. And, and you know... Since I had an experience, this spiritual experience, I felt this way. And I think in one of these things we were talking about, it um, uh, was the, um, boy, how quickly things go out of your mind, right? Um, oh, um, being slain in the spirit, I think, was one of them. And I said, you know, there's really no scriptural preference to that. Oh, I experienced that. I, you know, so that all of a sudden makes it true. And I said, well, you know, our final authority is based on the Word of God, not our experiences. You know, and if we expect, you know, uh, I'm sorry, if we accept experiences, then we would have to expect, we would have to, I'm sorry, we would have to accept all experiences true from everyone, right? So again, we can't accept spirit, uh, experience, spiritual experiences as being truth. Um, because then we have to accept them all, and then, you know, if they go contrary to the Word of God, then where do we stand and all these kind of things. And so, again, I, I you know, uh, that's what's going on here, and it's very shaky ground, to say the least. He's saying, my experience and the spiritual vision I have and the spiritual insight just confirm the fact that you're sinning somewhere, and therefore, you know, you need to repent, Joe. Which he's completely wrong about. Well, verse, uh, chapter 5, he continues, Call out now if there is anyone who will answer you, and to which of the holy ones will you turn? For wrath kills a foolish man, and envy slays a simple one. I have seen the foolish taking root, but suddenly I curse his dwelling place. His sons are far from safety. They are crushed in the gate, and there is no deliverer, because the hungry eat up his harvest, taking even from thorns, and a snare snatches their substance. For affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble spring up from the ground. Yet man is born to trouble as sparks fly upward. So again, you know, he's repeating this over and over again by his friends. There's some sort of sin going on in your life for this all to happen. 
And again, you know, uh, this is what's going on here. Obviously, I've seen this over and over again. And, and how cruel is this, right? He said, you know, uh, because uh, of a man's sin, verse 4 says his sons are in safety. And Job had just lost all his children. You know, they're crushed in the gate. And he's saying, Job, you're the reason all your children die. And the reason you lost all your stuff and all the everything you owned and everything is because of that. That's why there's... You have no harvest and everything is snatched up and turned to dust. I mean, can you imagine saying that to Job and, and you're there to comfort him in some way? Uh, again, um, we just have to make sure that we don't have our thinking tuned this way, whether it's about ourselves or about somebody else. You know, just because something bad or difficult or hard has come to somebody, We just can't jump to the conclusion, oh man, they must have sinned to deserve that. They must have done something wrong. Or we can even think that about our own situation. Man, what did I do wrong to deserve this? I really must have done this. Or we start searching and, you know, combing the brains or we're thinking about that, about somebody else. Boy, something must have really happened. But the reality of it is that's not necessarily true. In fact, it could be just quite the opposite. Now, I understand why we feel that way at times, right? And I'll put up here Galatians 6, 7, which is very familiar to most of us. It says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And that's very true. If a man is sowing to sin and uh, evil and wickedness and lying and deception, all that, you know, what's eventually going to sprout out in his life is, is, is literally the result of all those things. And that's a very true principle, you know, as well. But to think that applies in every situation is completely false as well, because we have so many situations in the Bible where the opposite is true. It has nothing to do with the person and all that came upon them, as I just mentioned some earlier, it had nothing to do with that. So again, we just need to be careful about all those kind of things and default, you know, in grace and in love. And don't allow ourselves to be caught up that way because indeed it's very um, uh, just the opposite in this story here with Job. He is not reaping what he has sown uh, in, in this case. It has nothing to do with that. And so we can't exclusively apply that to every situation. And he even look at verse 7 again. Yet a man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. You know, uh, that's the way it has to be. Sparks fly upward in a fire. And so the result of what's going on in your life has to be from sin. Just as sparks fly up in a fire, the same is true with something going wrong in your life has to do with your sin. You know, again, you know, we can ask ourselves, why did this happen? Uh, we really don't know. We don't sometimes get an answer from that. And, and uh, we, we can't jump to conclusions by any stretch of the matter. You know, we have to be careful what kind of judgments we make. Here, these guys are going to be rebuked by God in the end, and Job's going to have to pray for them uh, because they're so wrong in who... God is and his nature and what he does. And, um, you know, verse 8 says, But as for me, I would seek God 
and to God I would commit my cause. Now, that's good advice, and it's right. You know, and, and you know, when we don't understand what's going on, when all is going wrong, we certainly should be seeking our Heavenly Father and not some formula or even try to guess what's going on here. You know, uh, we need to seek that. So, you know, here is a good word here, you know. Um, uh, pour out our hearts to Him. Ask Him, Lord, what, you know, what's going on? What, what, what you know, what's happening with all this? How would you want me to respond? You know, uh, you know, Lord, give me that comfort. Give me the strength. All those things that we need during those times. And He tells Him, commit His cause to God. And that's the right thing. And then he says, who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number? He gives rain on the earth and sends water on the fields. He sets on high those who are lowly and those who mourn are lifted to safety. He frustrates the devices of the crafty so that their hands um, cannot carry out their plans. He catches the wise in their own craftiness and the counsel of cunning becomes quickly upon them. Of the cunning comes, cunning comes quickly upon them. Verse 14 says, They meet with darkness in the daytime and grope at noontime as in the night. But he saves the needy from the sword, from the mouth of the mighty, and from their hand. So the poor have hope, and injustice shuts her mouth. Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects, Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. So again, Eliaphaz is saying here now in a little more subtle way, Job, you have sinned, and that's why this is happening. You know, again, uh, God is just, God is righteous, which is absolutely true. And, uh, and he does allow those things. If you're crafty, if you're planning to do evil, yes, those things can come back. As we read, you know, you reap what you sow in those ways. And yes, the Lord does take care uh, of, uh, of those that can't defend themselves. Um, but imagine again saying this to a guy like Job in his position. Um, you know, he's basically saying, Job, you must have really been in bad shape for God to take away all your wealth, all your family, and all your health in order to straighten you out. Because that's what he's saying in verse 17, right? Don't despise the chastening of the Almighty. You know, just confess your sins, Job, and God will forgive you. And, and again, but he's completely wrong here. But is there some truth to that? Absolutely. You know, Proverbs 3 talks about that. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 talks a lot about that, that God does use discipline. Absolutely, it's, it, He does do that at times. Um, but again, it's not always the case. There's not some formula that when this happens, okay, this, the result of it is, is this. You know, just like you do a math formula, if you add these components or exponents or numbers or whatever and, and you know this is what it's going to equal every time uh, on the basis level two plus two when you add two things to two things you're always you're always going to have four things and that's how they were looking at that and that's just not true and that's not how we're to look at things like this you know there's some truth there and there is discipline by the lord but that's not the case here it's completely wrong that's not exact and that's not what's going on at all here and yet, that's what he's telling Job to do, which, again, 
Can you imagine being Job, hearing this from your supposed friend? That, you know, you just got to confess your sin, Job, and God's going to forgive you and heal you. Well, verse 18 says, uh, For he bruises, he binds up, he wounds, but his hand, shake, hand makes whole. He shall deliver you in six troubles. Yes, in seven no evil shall touch you. In famine he will redeem you from the death and in war from the power of the sword. Verse 21 says, You shall be hidden from the scourge of the tongue and you shall not be afraid of destruction when it comes. You shall laugh at destruction and famine and you shall not be afraid of the beasts of the earth for you shall have a covenant with the stones of the field and with the beasts of the fields shall be at peace with you. You shall know that your tent is in peace. You shall visit your dwelling and find nothing amiss. You shall also know that your descendants may be many and your offspring like the grass of the earth. You shall come to the grave at a full age as a sheaf of grain ripens in its season. Behold, this, is cer uh, behold, this we have searched out. It is true. Hear it and know for yourself. So with this great poetry here, he again emphasizes that Job's problems uh, uh, are because God corrects his sinful children and Job is one of those sinful children. And if you do the right things, everything will go away, which is not true. And, and again here, you know, if you are righteous and live a righteous life, then everything, it goes back to that whole kind of word of faith thing. You know, if you claim it in faith, and if you, you know, oh, God's going to bless me, God's going to bless me, God's going to bless me. If I do this and this and this, you expect God to bless you. And, you know, if I don't speak uh, of the sickness and I don't speak out in faith, no, I, I don't really have, you know, a, a, a bad back. My back is not, the nerves are shot, you know, the discs are gone, you know, this and that. If I don't say that and I say, nope, I don't have a bad back. Nope, the discs are in great shape. Nope, the nerves are doing great. Nope, the muscles are aligned perfectly and all that, then I'm speaking in faith and, and, and it'll, it'll be because of my spoken word. That's why they call it word of faith. It'll come to pass. Phooey, <laughs> not true, not right, not accurate, but that's exactly what he's saying here. You know, if you do this, everything's going to go well. Your children are going to be well. You're going to be blessed. You're going to have all these things. And again, they, they reduce our Heavenly Father, down to this formulas of do this, don't do this, and you can, you know, get this and have this and be this way and be this way. You, you know, it's just, not, it's, it's just not right. It's not accurate. And we see in Scripture over and over from beginning to the end the, so many examples of righteous people suffering. And it's been that way, and it's always going to be that way. And, and anybody that thinks different is, is just... Um, setting themselves up for uh, a, a real blow. And that's really the sad thing is because a lot of those word of faith and people go to that place and do this, you know, they expect all this. And if I don't say, if I say this and don't say, you know, uh, this person has cancer, then it's going to be healed. And there they are in the hospital and all of a sudden, you know, they die. And then their, their, their whole way of thinking and the whole way everybody has taught them just goes out the window and, and they're just left in a horrible place because of such things. So we need to always, again, counsel and think uh, of ourselves 
what does the word of God say? What is the, how do the scriptures teach us? What are the examples that we have in here? And, and, and you know, we can look at those for ourselves and not apply again what particular people think and say and do. No, God works in different ways all the time as he chooses to do things. And sometimes some of his will is the righteous are going to suffer. As a matter of fact, you know, James tells us that will happen, right? Those who live righteous in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's just going to happen. So it's not just about you sinning and having secret sins and this is all coming down. Not at all. And so we need to remember that. Well, after that difficult thing, Job is going to answer, you know, what is said. And again, poor Job feels the, the pressure to defend himself. You know, here he is suffering from the worst of the worst, arguably, that anybody's ever suffered. And they're putting all this wrong application of what's going on, what he's doing, what God's doing. And, and then, you know, not only is he dealing with everything he's dealing with, but now he has to feel like, you know, he has to defend himself uh, in front of all these things, which makes it worse on Job and harder on Job, and then he gets a little freewheeling himself. But let's see how he responds here. Then Job, verse, or chapter 6 says in verse 1, answered and said, Oh, that my grief were fully weighed, and my calamity laid with it on scales. Then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore my words have been rash, for the arrows of the Almighty are within me. My spirit drinks in their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. Does the wild donkey bray when it has grass, or does the ox low over its fodder? Can colorless food be eaten without salt? I'm sorry, flavorless food be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? My soul refuses to touch them. They are as lo loathsome food to me. So Job starts out and, 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 and says this, Listen, guys, if you put my pain and suffering on one side of a scale, and then you put all the sand and the sea on the other side of the scale, my pain and suffering would be heavier than that. I'm under this you know, extreme anguish and pain in life. It's unbearable pain. And his heart is, you know, my life should really end now. You know, I'm just done with it. And that's why I'm crying out. I feel like these, there's just poison arrows in me, like everything is against me. You know, we feel, I feel like, you know, I'm doing what's right, doing this, and then I feel like, man, I'm being shot with these poison arrows. And, and I wouldn't be saying all this, he says, if everything was okay. You know, I, I would be like a, a donkey that, you know, has a bunch of grass, Listen, the donkey's not going to be complaining if he's out in the field and there's tons of grass for him to eat. He's just eating. He doesn't make a sound. Or like, a, like a, a, an ox, you know, who's just been fed. He's got a bowl full of, of grain there or something. He's not, you know, crying over and over again because he's hungry. No, he's full. And the reason I'm complaining so much is like I'm, I'm like a starving animal. Um, and, uh, you know, and that's why I'm kind of spouting off this way. You know, Job was hungry for love and for understanding, and he wasn't getting any. 
let me tell you, at times of pain, you know, you can't replace love and understanding that you can give a person during those times. You can't underestimate the power of that. You, you can't minimize the strength of that. You know, he was just hungry for love and understanding. And that's a simple thing that we can give to people that are going through things like that. And then he continues in verse 8, Oh, that I might have my request, that God would grant me the thing that I long for, that it would please God to crush me, that he would lose his hand and cut me off. Then I would still have comfort, though in anguish I would uh, exalt, uh, exult, I'm sorry, he will not spare, for I have not concealed the words of the Holy One. What strength do I have that I should hope? And what is my end that I should prolong my life? Uh, prolong my life? And, and Job goes on to say, you know, the one thing I really want is for it all to end. You know, I, I can't keep living in this, this pain that's just overwhelming. It's greater than, you know, the, all, the weight of the sands of the seashore. I can't keep living in this pain and anguish. My life should end now. And he says, because what's the point of continuing going on? What's the point of doing anything else? What hope should I have, he says at verse 11. But what Job doesn't know is the best is yet to come. We know the end because we read the story. God knew the end, of obviously, because he's the creator of all. But poor Job doesn't. And yet we know when we get to the, the end of the book, you know, the best was yet to come for Job. But he couldn't see it at this point. And sadly, the friends that were there supposedly to comfort him weren't pointing ahead to that and weren't pointing ahead in hope. You know, but we can feel this way too when we're down, right? What's the point of going on, we can think? Nothing good can happen now. Boy, if I had a dollar for every time I thought of that... <laughs> I'd be retired right now, right? Nothing good can happen now, but we don't know the end of our stories either. I remember in a, in a very difficult point of my life, um, someone uh, said to me, an older Christian, um, and they said to me, you know, it'll get better. It'll get better, Dylan. And, you know, at that time, it really made me mad. <laughs> Um, you know, something like that shouldn't make me mad. Now, I didn't respond in, in anger to this person, but in my own mind, and as I thought about it, you know, I, I was just really angry. There's just no way. I mean, what do you mean uh, about that? It's going to get better, you know? Um, and the reality of it was, you know, it, it had to be different. It, it is not always going to stay that way. And, and we need just to remember that, you know, God doesn't keep us in that place, in that position. He's, he understands the weight that's on Job. He's going to work in and through it and do great things in Job's life and these guys' life and our lives all the way down through the ages until right now as we look at that. But, but in the end, it will get better. And we can have that confidence, right? Because we know the love God has for us. We can have confidence in knowing He loves us and has the best for us. 
And, and so we can go out with confidence and, and know that in faith saying, listen, uh, you know, Lord, we have no idea what you have in store for us, but I know that you love us and I know that you care for us and I know you want the best for us. And so this isn't the end and it's certainly not going to stay stuck here in this miserable state. And we can have confidence in the Lord. And that's what we need to be encouraged by or encouraging others by that are in with, I'm sorry, encouraging others with when we're in those kind of situations. Well, let's finish up this chapter with Job talking here in 12. He says, is my strength the strength of stones or is my flesh bronze? Is my help not within me and is success driven from me? To him who is afflicted, kindness should be shown by his friend, even though he forsakes and fears fear of the Almighty. But my brothers have dealt deceitfully like a brook, like a stream of brooks that pass away, which are dark because of the ice and into which the snow vanishes. When it is worn, they cease to flow. When it is hot, they vanish from their place. The paths of, uh, of their way turn aside they go nowhere and perish. The caverns of Tema, look, the travelers come of uh, travelers of Sheba hope for them. They are disappointed because they are confident. They come there and are confused. For now you are nothing. You see terror and are afraid. Did you ever say, bring something to me or offer a bribe uh, for me from your wealth or deliver me from the enemy's hand or redeem me from the hand of oppressors? Teach me and I will hold my tongue. Cause me to understand wherein I have erred. How forceful are your, uh, how forceful are right words. But what does your arguing prove? Do you intend to rebuke my words and the speeches of a desperate one, which are as, as of wind? Verse 27 says, Yes, you overwhelm the fatherless and you undermine your friend. Now therefore be pleased to look at me for I would never lie to your face. Yield now, let there be no injustice. Yes, concede, my righteousness still stands. Is there injustice on my tongue? Cannot my taste discern the unsavory? And so we read here, you know, uh, Job just saying, what kind of friends are you? Don't you understand that you're making it worse for me? Yeah, I know I'm spouting out and saying some things, but... You know, I'm doing that out of pain, out of agony. And it would be better, you know, uh, if you were quiet or not even here, right? Because you're like a, de a deceptive spring that, you know, seems to be a water supply, but when you get to it, it's dried up, right? You, you can imagine that. You know, here these guys are traveling on a caravan. They think, oh, there's a river, you know, the and you get to the river and it's all dried up. You know, you expect it to be refreshed, and have water and, and quench your thirst and you get there and it's, you know, a bunch of sand and it's all dried up. Y you know, he's uh, saying that that's the way it is. I expected to get more from you guys and get nothing. You know, um, Job is in this sense of hopelessness at this point. You know, and, and when you feel hopeless, you have this feeling of use, uselessness, and when you feel uh, useless, you don't want to live. 
which explains why Job wanted to take his life. Now, Job didn't attempt this. He knew that suicide was wrong, but he prayed that God might take him out of his misery. And again, Job's friends are, are healthy, they're comfortable, they didn't know the, the burdens of waking up each morning uh, with the pain and suffering and memories of all that he had and all that he had lost and all these kind of things. You know, they, they got their homes and their children and their wives and their, uh, you know, uh, wealth and, uh, you know, material things they can, you know, they can go back to. And Job doesn't have that. And I, and I think that's important is because they couldn't really empathize with Job of, uh, of being that way. And it's just so important that we put ourselves in that person. It gives us so much more you know, empathy and sympathy for, for a person. And we can love on them, give them hope, and you know, take them, uh, hopefully, out of that hopelessness. Something is very important to do. And these guys were piling on just the opposite. And then Job kind of digs his heels in the sand here, you know, right at the end, right? Talking about, listen, I haven't done anything wrong. I, I've always done things right. When have I done something wrong? When have I taken a bribe? When have I asked you to bail me out of jail because I did something wrong or took advantage of this person and now they're coming after me? Can you help? When have I done any of these things? No, I, 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 I don't lie. and I'm, I'm being completely honest to you right now. I haven't done any of those sins. I've always lived right before God as I always have. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed at all. And then finish up here at chapter 7. He says in verse 1, Is there not a time of hard service for man on earth? Are not his days also like the days of a hired man, like a servant who earnestly desires the shade, like a hired man who eagerly looks for his wages? He, he says, you know, I, I'm like the person looking for the end of the day. You know, the bell to ring, that, you know, your shift is over, that, you know, uh, five o'clock is rolled around, you know, it's, it's the end of the day. Um, you, you know, I, that's what I'm looking at. E everything's over and it's done and I'm like the hiring manager says, okay, this is the end, it's all, you know, um, it's all over. That's where I am right now. No, you know, you guys have something to look forward to, Job says, but... You know, my future is hopeless. Verse 3 says, So I have been allotted months of futility, and worrisome nights have, appointed, have been appointed to me. When I lie down, I say, When shall I arise? And the night be ended, for I have had my fill of tossing till dawn. My flesh is caked with worms and dust. My skin is cracked and breaks out afresh. Man, you can see the pain and suffering Job was facing here, right? I, I, I mean, he couldn't sleep, so he's waiting for the dawn to roll around. And it was during the, during the day, he couldn't wait for the night to roll around. You know, the, the part of what the devil in, inflicted on Job, his sore, his pain, you know, worms were coming out of the sores. Pus was coming out of it, and dirt was sticking to it, and the ashes that he was sitting in this ash pile. I mean, I, I, I can't even begin to imagine what that was like. Not only they painful, but they, they were gross and disgusting in every sort of way and, and added to his misery. And he would wait for the night, you know, to come so he could rest. And when he was at night, he was waiting for dawn because nothing was bringing him any sort of 
you know, uh, relief from all that was happening. And then this repeated day after day after day. And how miserable and horrible his life had become. And he says in verse 6, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. They are spent without hope. Uh, you know, again, the weaver goes back and forth and back and forth. Weaving that, you know, it's just supposed to pass through quickly. That's the idea of how you make something and sewing something with those looms. If you've ever been to Knott's Berry Farm, they used to have that a lot. You could see that. I'm sure you've been to other county fairs or whatever where they're sewing with, you know, that shuttle goes back and forth pretty quickly to, to, to get the, you know, the weaving going there. And, you know, I feel like it's just going by that quick, you know, you know, but life is like a weaving, right? Like this pattern he's making and God can see, you know, the total outcome of a person's life, like a person weaving a, a, a carpet, let's say, and they're weaving it and, you know, it looks like a bunch of threads here and the colors aren't all the way here because it's not complete. But we have to remember, God can see the completed work. And, and, and sometimes when we're at these low points like Job, you know, we can't see the good. All we can see is, you know, this isn't straight and this is messed up and that's not good. And how could this ever, you know, wind up to look something good and finished and great? Because we're, we're at a low point and we only see parts and bits and pieces. And then we tend to focus on what's wrong and what's bad. And we can't see, you know, like our Heavenly Father can, can see the finished work and what it's all going to look like at the end. And again, Job's without hope. And he needs somebody to encourage him in hope. And then he says this, verse 7, Oh, remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never see, never again see good. The eye of him who sees me will see me no more. While your eyes are upon me, I shall no longer be. As the cloud disappears and vanishes away, so he who goes down to the grave does not come up. He shall never return to his house, nor shall his place know him any more. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. I am a sea or a sea serpent that uh, am I, I'm sorry, a sea or a sea serpent that you set your guard over me? When I say my bed will comfort me and my couch will ease my complaint, then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that my soul chooses uh, strangling and death rather than my body. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone for my days are but a breath. And, you know, you can see this misery and this low here. And, you know, I'm never going to see anything good and never, nothing good is going to come from this at all. And I like what this one person said and uh, the quote here. He said, worse than the disease itself, Job lost all hope of being healed. He believed his only release from pain was death. And, and that's how miserable and how low he was. And he felt no comfort. Even in his dreams, he said, my, my, my dreams are nightmares. There's, there's just no place at all that I get any comfort from anything at all. And that's how he felt about everything. 
And, and then the guys that are supposed to comfort him are, are adding to that. They're adding to the anguish and to the pain and to the misery. And, and so he's even feeling lower. You know, this is it. Uh, you know, I'm going to die and nobody's going to remember me anymore. And I, I'll never be able to walk to my house again or do any of these things again. It'll all be over. I'll be forgotten. It'll all be done. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm like taking my last breath here. Now, let me put one more quote up here. I like this one, too. It says, Job's words here remind us of something remarkable. Though his physical suffering was intense and prolonged, yet his greatest troubles were inward. Job's spiritual crisis was deeper than his physical or material crisis. And that was true. You know, when we can be in pain and have all these things going on and all these difficulties, but man, when it starts to to affect our spiritual life and our spiritual walk with the Lord, then, you know, you, you hit this really low, low. And it can be really a low, low for the believer, for the Christian. When we've cut the Lord out of the equation or minimized his ability to do anything or, uh, you know, to change anything or, or this and that. We can even get upset and mad over things like that. And, uh, you know, um, and that's what's going on. And that really breeds hopelessness. It really does. And, uh, you know, what, what these guys could have brought again would be that, you know, that hope and, hey, God's not done. And, you know, he loves us and all those things that we know. It's important that we remember those things when we're going through it and that we encourage others in the same way. Well, let's finish up here. Verse 17 what is man that you should exalt him, that you should set your heart on him, that you should visit him every morning and test him every moment? And, and you know, what is man, Job says, that you pay so much attention to him? You're, he's just like a, a speck of dust, you know, and yet he knows everything about us. And he realized, I'm nothing before you, Lord. You know, and he gets to this point where he's saying, why should you even care uh, what's happening to me? Or why would you even allow this to happen to me? And he says in verse 19, How long will you not look away from me? Will you, uh, will, and I'm sorry, and let me alone till I swallow my saliva? Have I sinned? What have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you set me as your target so that I am burdened, I am a burden to myself? And why then do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I will lie down in the dust, and you will seek me diligently, but I will no longer be. And so as we finish up, you know, Job's cry out here and his respond to his friend, you know, he, he's just feeling so miserable he can't even swallow his saliva, okay? Does that tell you something? You know, not only these Boils probably were on the outside, but they were on the inside and probably in his mouth and his throat as well. And just remember, Job never claims to be sinless. That, that's never a claim and that's never the issue. And, and, and he knows he's a sinner, uh, but even God called him a righteous and upright man, right? So we know his heart and his love and his desire is to do the right thing, and it has been his whole life. And, and, but, you know, but he says this, Lord, why, if, it's, if, if these guys are right and it really is my sin, then why don't you just forgive me? 
You know, again, the Lord will in the end, but for now, Job, the Lord was showing Job something that he needed to learn. And he will, and he'll teach him, and he'll show him, and he'll give him, you know, uh, uh, insight to uh, himself and what he was doing. But again, Job is just here at this low point here, and, you know, he thinks that he's just going to let me go, and I'm going to be in dust. And then, you know, Lord, we won't have anything, you know, because of that because I will be gone and I won't be around. And, and it, you know, the Lord does have a plan and he does have a will and he is going to do great work with Job. But again, he was just so low right now, he couldn't see it. And he was, the Lord was going to show him something and he will learn something, but, you know, he has to spend some of this time going through these difficulties and, of course, dealing with his friends here. Well, we'll pick it up uh, next week with the next guy, Bill Dad, um, spouting off to Job again, and then we'll hear Job's response, and that's kind of the way it is until God steps in in chapter 38. So let's pray. Father, again, we do thank you for your word here, and though it can be kind of long, and the book of Job seems, uh, you know, sometimes just a little bit difficult because it is kind of um, poetic language and is a little bit flowery speech here sometimes. Um, but Lord, there's just an important message here that, you know, you're God and you choose to do what you choose to, to do. And your ways aren't our ways. But Lord, when we don't understand, and as we read in those last few verses, the word why was used so many times. Why, 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 why? And that's a way we can be. You know, we're asking why things are going this way. And it's very natural and very common for us to do these things. But again, Lord, you don't choose to answer the why question much of the time. And, and so, Father, you know, when we get into those places, then, you know, it's just good to remember who you are, what you've done, the promises you've given us, the love you had shown us, and, and the good end that you have planned for us. And that you will strengthen us with every step and give us peace and give us reassurance along the way. And the whys may not get answered and usually don't, but we can go through and endure and come out uh, shining bright uh, knowing that you love us and knowing that you'll, you know, you'll supply what we need when we need it and give us that love and that peace and that hope and all that we need uh, because you do want to see us come through and learn all that we uh, need to learn and all that's important to learn through these difficulties, Lord. So bless these things to our hearts, to our lives, Lord, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, you guys. May the Lord bless your evening as we continue.